Hi there, this is How to Choose, the show that helps you make better decisions and improve your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tessa. And I'm Ken. And in this, our fifth season of How to Choose, we're looking at eight attributes of good decision makers. Ken, have you ever thought of taking a week off work just to think and reflect? Yes, actually, I have been thinking a lot about this recently. I had a forced week off work with COVID, but that just kind of left me feeling sorry for myself. (laughs) But yeah, it's something I have thought about. What about you? Have you ever done this? I haven't. There's, I've always really wanted to do a silent meditation retreat where you go away for a whole week and literally you don't have a phone, you're in your head, you do formal meditation. It's a bit intimidating, but I have a good friend who is a really strong advocate. But unfortunately, I just haven't prioritized it. And, you know, as nice as it would be at the moment in particular, I just don't think my family or my my toddler would allow it especially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not quite a meditation retreat. Back in 1994, someone very famous did exactly this, locked themselves away for a week, completely cut himself off from his work, his friends, and even his family for an entire week. Mm -hmm. And it was actually part of an annual ritual that he called his Think Week, where he took the time to step back from everything and look at big picture issues from a really high level. He found that this separation gave him clarity and the ability to think outside the box. Do you know who this might be, Ken? I do not know. It's actually Bill Gates. Oh. And he doesn't just take one, he takes two weeks out of every year away from technology and society in a cabin in the woods with the exclusive goal of reading and reflecting. So back in 1994, the Think Week's topic was the internet. Was it a fad? Is it here to stay? In 1994, Microsoft was just focusing on the personal computer And Gates wanted to reflect on whether the internet was a big enough deal to deviate from this very successful business model. And after this week of self-reflection and reading, Gates came to the conclusion that it was worth betting on the internet, and he started a team working on the browser that would eventually be called Internet Explorer. Wow, that is an interesting story. It's hard to put yourself back into a time before everybody relied on the internet, isn't it, to to that period of time. But yeah, and I can imagine that without that week of, of reflecting, it would have been very easy to just keep doing what they were doing, that personal computer, which was so successful for Microsoft. So true. Like he would have had to take resources away from a part that was already so successful. We talk about this in the Adaptable episode this season, where we talked about Kodak uh, and how you know the founder actually didn't adapt. He was so stuck on his successful business model that was making huge amounts of money that he couldn't actually adapt. He needed that week in the woods too. Taking two weeks a year just to reflect while great is actually not realistic, I would say, for for the majority of us. But the key lesson here is that you can separate yourself from those day-to-day distractions, you know, coupled with a really dedicated time for reflection. It doesn't have to be a full week, though. We can create regular reflection opportunities, but we do have to be deliberate about it. It won't happen without you deciding to make the time to reflect. But it will actually help you make better informed decisions. In Stephen Covey's words, this is about making time for the important but not urgent. And see season one, episode seven for a deep dive on this topic. Yeah, we're both big Stephen Covey fans. So we we recommend his seven habits of highly effective people. And actually that important versus urgent concept is something that I talk a lot about with people at work. How does this reflection actually help us improve? Research is, is really strong in this area, Ken, and it suggests that self-reflection 
on both how and what students have learned leads to improvements in academic performance. In another study, teachers used reflective-based questioning versus traditional instruction, and they were able to improve students' reading comprehension. Uh, The Harvard Business School demonstrated that employees who spent just 15 minutes at the end of the day reflecting about lessons learned performed 23% better after 10 days than those who did not reflect. Mm. And there's a large body of research on the importance and effectiveness of reflection for improving our performance in just so many areas. While it's common wisdom that practice makes perfect, in fact, another study found that more practice is not always the best choice. Researchers have found that reflecting on previous experience is actually superior to just getting more of the same experience. And reflection has a potential to generate spillover effects to different but related tasks. In addition, reflection is most beneficial at the beginning of the learning curve, as long as you have enough experience on which to reflect. And I'll have a link to some of these papers in our show notes too. Yeah, great. Yeah, I can remember when I was younger, I used to play a lot of volleyball and I was always thinking about how I could improve that little bit. I kind of felt that I'd got to a bit of a plateau and so I was always thinking, well, how can I improve my jump? How can I improve my blocking? How can I improve my hitting? It definitely, and I think when there's a real driver and a motivation to be excellent, that's a real prompt, isn't it, to be reflective? Because you're not settling for mediocrity, but you're looking to improve. Yeah, it's so true, Ken. I think if you talk to anyone who's doing anything in a really serious or professional level, you'll find that there's a huge amount of reflection built into improving their practice. But it doesn't come naturally to most people, and some openly resist the process. What are the kind of things that hold us back from being more reflective? Look, the first is not understanding or even being sceptical of the process. You know, how do you even reflect? Some people probably have the picture of a monk sitting in silence for hours a day. For others, they know what it is, but they just don't enjoy it. You know, it requires you to slow down, take responsibility for your actions, and have an open and curious mindset. And it can also be uncomfortable. When you reflect, it can lead you to identify things that we could have done better, which is quite painful for some people to process. And then finally, some people just might not think it's worth their valuable time. You know, how much benefit will that actually bring? Is it quantifiable? It doesn't always align with people's action-oriented or KPI mindsets. Yeah, I I was thinking about that one as well. You know, I I think people sometimes who are very task-oriented or outcome-focused don't always like to slow down and pause and reflect. They actually just want to get on and get things done. But, you know, it reminds me of that famous saying of Abraham Lincoln that whether or not this he actually said it or not, attributed to Abraham Lincoln that if he had six hours to cut down a tree, he was going to spend about four hours sharpening the axe. So reflection, it's a bit like that. And to extend that metaphor, it's, it's about identifying potential problems with our axes, uh, working out how to improve both the axe and also improve our chopping techniques. So if you'll forgive that extended metaphor. Look, and just to jump on that, Ken, as well, another one that jumps to mind is uh, fail to plan, plan to fail. Yes. And I think you could build in reflect there because it's almost reflect and then plan and then you're ready to go. Mm. So we know that there are lots of barriers for people when it comes to reflection, but the research is just so clear that it's worth being added to your to-do list or even to your KPIs. In good times or bad, you've got to prioritize it. Peter Drucker, who is considered the father of management theory, said, follow effective action with quiet reflection. From the quiet reflection will come even more effective action. Mm. And I think this is a really good point. As we 
normally spend time ruminating when things go wrong, but we often don't take the time to dissect and reflect on our successes. Yeah, that is a very good point. And because I think, you know, there's lessons to learn when we succeed. It, it's not always clear why we've succeeded. And sometimes we can jump to wrong conclusions about why something worked out. So taking some time to reflect and think, okay, what did I do? What did other people do that maybe made this this situation work? All right, well, I'm convinced. How then, test do we reflect? If we don't have the time to go away for a think week in an isolated cabin like Bill Gates, what, what do we do? Look, you can just start really, really small. Put aside 10 minutes to begin and have some concrete questions you're going to reflect on. Harvard Business Review suggests these as prompts. What are you avoiding? How are you helping your colleagues achieve their goals? How are you not helping or even hindering their progress? Then sit down, go for a walk, talk it through with someone, write it down or just stay in your head. Try and take multiple perspectives. Look at the opposite of what you initially were thinking. And you don't have to like or agree with all your thoughts. Just think and then try to examine your thinking. And the important thing is just really making that time. So make a reflection appointment in your calendar and stick to it. Do you do anything like this, Ken? Look, I have in the past, but I now probably do it more organically, which actually means that I often don't do it. (laughs) But I think I might try blocking off a chunk of time in the calendar each week for some reflection. So those three questions I really like, I might just go through those again for people listening. You know, what are you avoiding? How are you helping your colleagues achieve their goals? How are you not helping or even hindering their progress? That's a really good set of questions. So I, I think I'll use those. What about you? I'm kind of the same. Like I sometimes are very structured and then I go through periods of, of organic and like you said, probably not as much. <laughs> but uh, I did quite a structured reflection at the end of my first maternity leave as I knew that I wanted a job change, but I wasn't sure what direction to go down. Do I want a small shift or do I want to do a really drastic thing? And deliberate reflection helped me get to an answer. I did a combination of things to get there, uh, including writing my thoughts down, and talking the issue through from multiple angles with lots of people. And I think for me, that was the most most successful. You know, some of it was just having coffees or even emailing people, kind of outlining where my, my thoughts were and seeking their advice, trying to get that outside view yeah. to see if I was maybe not really seeing, seeing potential things that, that could have been really good for me. And I think the good thing with that too, Tess, is that you're getting more than one perspective, right? Because if we pick one person, you know, it's really hard to then kind of ground that and compare it. Yeah, I think we, you do need multiple lots of input to then sort of say, okay, what's the consensus here? Are people converging on one particular piece of advice or is there something that really stands out? I, I really like that. And for reflection to be useful, we need to consciously consider and analyze our beliefs and actions for the purpose of learning. So providing that structure can be really helpful. For your first attempt, make a plan. It'll just be so much more effective and easy if you've, if you've thought about it beforehand. Yeah. So schedule a time, choose a place, a duration, and a method. Now, identify your key questions you want to address. We talked through some before. Uh, But here are a few more prompts if you didn't like those ones. How might you be contributing to your least enjoyable relationship at work or in your personal life? Mm. How could you have been more effective in a recent meeting? Then it's time to start. Ken, can you talk us through something you might like to schedule time to reflect on? And how might you go about it now that you have these examples? 
All right. Well, I'm actually glad you're putting me on the spot here because this is the key, isn't it? It's good to talk about things, but you know, the change comes when we actually do something. So I'm going to make a commitment to this. I'm going to combine some reflecting with some walking. So that means I'll get double the benefit because I know I need to get away from my desk and walk a bit more. So I'm going to make it a weekly time. Uh, I'll start off, I'll test out those questions from Harvard Business Review. So we'll see how those go. Uh, but then I want to reflect particularly on my team that I manage at work. So, And I think I'll probably take a notebook as well so that I can jot down some things that I think about because otherwise I'm liable to, to have something profound pop into my head and then I'll see, see a parrot or something and completely forget <laughs> what I was thinking. So I might uh, I might try that. I love this idea. I think I'm going to copy it. And it goes to our episode on habits. Do you remember that and the importance of chunking? Yes, yes. So if you can combine something, you know, maybe you're really attracted to the idea of walking and it's something you do anyway. Yeah. By adding the reflection to your walking, you're actually much more likely to do it than if you, you know, just arbitrarily say, Tuesday at two o'clock, I'm going to reflect. Yeah. Um, if you're already doing that walk, then and chunk it together with something like that and it might actually make it a permanent habit. Yeah. Now, another challenge is if we don't have good self-awareness, and we know from season one, episode two, overestimating our abilities, that the Dunning-Kruger effect can come into play. For those who don't remember or haven't listened, the Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias in which people with low ability or knowledge in a specific area actually overestimate their ability or knowledge in that area. Uh, and reflection in this instance might just reinforce your incorrect belief, because if you already think you're great, a, a certain amount of reflection isn't going to change that. Yeah, that's right. And it, it look, it, it recalls what you were just saying then to Tess in your mat leave uh, reflection time of reaching out to other people for input. I think that was really critical. And it, look, it's a bit like if you're a brand new tennis player and you've played a few or had a few tennis lessons and then you just go away and start reflecting on, on your skills, um, you don't have a lot of knowledge and data to kind of inform that reflection, do you? So you might think that you're doing brilliantly when your technique is horrible. And when you're a novice, the reflection at without that input from someone else is probably not going to help you improve a great deal. Yeah, that's a really great example, Ken. Yeah, you want to get to that level of competence uh, at which the reflection is actually useful before you start doing it. As you just mentioned, one way we can counteract this is to seek feedback from others. Uh, we spoke in the previous episode this season on courage about creating a psychologically safe workplace where people are free to openly give feedback question decisions and voice dissent. And you need this culture to be established in order to get effective feedback from others that will facilitate your reflection. So find someone in your life that can give you frank and helpful feedback. This could be a friend, colleague, mentor, boss, or even a professional coach, but you need them to be honest and also perceptive. Mm. Uh, if there's an issue you want to reflect on, you could even ask them the following questions. What should I start doing? What should I stop doing? What should I continue doing? And the structured questions actually help because often when you ask people for advice, they'll be like, no, you're great. Everything's going yeah. well. But if you actually give them, you know, there's got to be something that I should be, I should stop doing in my life. It'll force them to think a little bit more critically. And their responses may reveal a blind spot that you were completely unaware of, or they may reinforce that you are actually on the right track. Yeah, they're really good questions. I've used those before with teams that I've managed just to ping people with an email and say, look, can you please give me feedback to those three? So they're really good ones. All right. So let's say I've started my journey of self-reflection. How do I know that I'm on track? 
A few signs that you are or are becoming more self-reflective is that you're frequently looking for opportunities to learn, you're requesting help from those you can learn from, you're seeking out opportunities to collaborate or exchange views, you take criticism well, you set realistic goals after after you've reflected, obviously, Mm. you take responsibility for your mistakes and are able to keep things in perspective, even when pressure and stress is high. Yeah, that's a, a bunch of really good uh, things to look out for. And I imagine, too, the inverse of many of these is probably a sign that someone isn't reflective, so that they're constantly trying to prove that they're right, they're overly competitive, they rarely ask for help, they micromanage, they blame others, they take criticism badly. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure we all know people who are exhibiting some of these <laughs> um, expressions of lack of reflection. <laughs> But hopefully some of our listeners may already be quite naturally self-reflective, but most of us could do with improvement and the majority with more deliberate practice. Yeah, definitely. So Ken, what's your key takeaway? Well, look, mine is an action item. So I'm going to make that time each week for my reflection walk. Um, And you might have to make a note. You can ask me about this in a future episode to see how it's going. And yeah, we'll see what I can learn and and take and apply in, in the workplace. This actually reminds me of a course I did at work a few years ago uh, that stuck with me. And one practice they said that everyone should try and cultivate in their workday is to take a few minutes just before you've logged off to reflect on what, what's happened. Think about what went well, what didn't. Did you procrastinate? Uh, you know, what do you wish that you could redo? Yeah. And then take those few minutes then to set your goals for the next day. You know, what are your tasks? What, what do you need to get achieved? It'll just make you that much more effective the next day. So, listener, what's your key takeaway? And remember, teach a friend something from this episode because it will help the knowledge stick. Yes, and if you've enjoyed this season, please make sure to subscribe to How to Choose and visit us, as always, at goodbetterright.com.au. Our next episode, and actually the final episode for the season, will be looking at the topic of perseverance. Yes, and we have a very special interviewee for that episode too, so make sure you tune in. And look, As we keep saying, make sure you share what you're learning. I think sharing is a great part of reflecting really too, isn't it, Tess? Because you pause and you think, okay, what is it that I want to work on? So talking about that with someone else can be part of your reflection process. After every episode that you listen, reflect and then share. Yeah. (laughs) Bye for now. 